Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. This is a special episode, Diaries of an F1 Boss, but you still have to put up with me, your host, Richard Spanners Ready, and I'm also joined as normal by Matt to Rumpets. Good morning, Matt. It's just six minutes afternoon as we hit the record button here. So technically, good afternoon, lunchtime middle of your day messing up your whole schedule pretty much yeah so for you this is like remain indoors so it's in the morning so you're not sat there with a whiskey because i don't think i'm telling tales here matt when i give away that sometimes the missed apex crew has a little bit of a tipple during the show it's true uh on the general theory that it's got to be you know three o'clock somewhere in the world yeah even for me, it's a bit early. I'm not being hobbled by you. In fact, no, what I'm going to do is I'm going to solidarity. I'm just going to have this coffee. It's definitely coffee in here. No more questions. Uh, but we do have questions for our guest. It is former F1 Lotus CEO, Matthew Carter. Thanks for joining us in the shed again, Matthew. Good to be here. Good to be here. Oh, I do. I do love that you you pop on. And uh, one of the things I, I like about you, Mr. Carter, is that you either definitely know that the things you are saying uh, are exciting and extraordinary to us, or you are so entrenched in F1 that you don't know that you're dropping bombs as you walk along. Either of those is spectacular for us. I think there's probably a bit of both involved. Because <laughs> so, you know, obviously we are, we're, we're scum. We're, me and Matt, we're, I'm speaking for you as well, Matt. You know, we're down in the, we're down on the ground. And we, we sometimes, we get excited by things that you think are ordinary and, and are excited by the every day ordinary uh, conversations you have um so you can normally tell on my face though mr carter this is my face when i'm trying to not seem amazed by what you're saying because i don't want you to stop saying it it's that 
that kind of, sorry for the audio listeners. Uh, but you were, of course, the um, the former CEO of Lotus F1. And I was searching around for a picture uh, of you to, to put in all our promo stuff. because I'm getting better at doing the promo stuff. And I found uh, a photo of you with the headline. And this must be from 2015. Lotus F1 boss shoots down rumors of F1. Uh, sorry, of Renault buyout. Uh, of course, Renault did buy the team out. And I just found that uh, a wonderful piece of history to look back on. Uh, yes. I, I don't think anyone would be surprised to know that sometimes what the team bosses say is dictated by legal teams in the background. There was a long time that we were negotiating with Renault when there was speculation amongst journalists and uh, and we weren't allowed to discuss it at all. So I was I was regularly told to say that there was no involvement, even though I had a group of Frenchmen in the boardroom for about six months boring over paperwork. Right. So this immediately makes me want to ask you about Williams with the recently announced deal, because are we suddenly to assume or should we be thinking that the that Doralton Capital had spent a similar period of time pouring over the finances of Williams and that this might be why we saw less development from them at the end of this year, like why things weren't going as well? I, I could only speculate, but... Um, Please do. <laughs> I... For sure, they got the deal done in, in fairly quick time. So I would speculate that they were talking to them before the official um, the official notification went out that they were looking for a buyer. I would think they were already in discussion with them before that. Um, I think that, do I think or do I know, that the deal was only concluded because of the Concord agreement and the, um, and the cost cap. They were, they, were, they were parts of the deal. I, I think I would assume that they um, they were waiting for the Concord Agreement to be signed for all the teams to so that they knew exactly what their split was going to be and um, and likewise the the cost cap to be agreed. So you're skipping ahead a little bit, Matt. You never even gave me a chance to play to play my fancy bumper, did you? Look, there we go. Big dirty news. It's, it's not the news segment until I do that. That was still introduction, Matt. I, w- I wanted to probe Mr. Carter, you know, a little more because. You are uh, you are in the same sort of situation as as Claire Williams. She must have been sat there as well with a boardroom full of um, Canadians. I think uh, skipping ahead, but basically your your entire time at, at Lotus was spent either under financial pressure or in the midst of this this takeout. So I, I don't know. I'm just imagining in that two years you must have aged about ten. Well, you just told me before the start of this that I look better now than I did back then. So yeah, well, you... age, age has been good to me. Okay, so before everyone thinks that yeah, I was... no, it was it was, but but don't forget, I um, and I don't say this um, flippantly at all, but I spent a lot of years um, rescuing businesses and and helping out businesses that were in distress. So I have a personal capability to kind of disassociate personal and business. Um, so I don't tend to take stress home with me, if you like. Mm. Um, it's a bit different when it comes to an F1 team because, as we've discussed before, it's it's a very public, um, it's a very public thing. It's uh, if if you had an, any other business anywhere around the world and you were and you had ten competitors competing in that business, you wouldn't be judged every two weeks on how much you've gained and how your product has improved. Whereas in F1, that's exactly what you're doing. You're essentially racing against ten of the of the the, the best teams and the best engineers and every two weeks somebody draws a line in the sand and says how have the last two two weeks gone so 
it's it's very high pressure it's very it's very public but yeah personally i i tend to be able to switch off a little bit and sleep fairly well at home oh that well thing is uh, it, it feels like it was more hostile um the team principals now they they'd like to give this air that they are all friends um i think was it uh, franz tost was talking on the that other podcast and saying that he tries to be as friendly as he can with all the other team bosses he wants them to be able to like have a meal together or whatever uh, the only the only real uh, input we've had from you is um you know that perhaps there was one particular uh, 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 f1 leader that you didn't get on with but it, it doesn't feel like there was that community amongst the team principals you know even like 5 6 years ago yeah i think there was i think there was i think yeah. there there is i mean you you have to disassociate what you see on the TV and, and what's actually going on behind the scenes. Um, I mean, the Netflix doc does give you some sort of an idea of what goes on, but I think everyone got, all the team principals tend to get on reasonably well. Um, I mean, you're battling against them every two weeks, but, and don't forget the person that you're talking about that I didn't necessarily get on with wasn't a team principal then. Oh, Pirelli. He, uh, he'd, he'd managed to badly run Caterham and then he went off to go and badly run Viri before he came back to Renner. Okay, I think uh, I think Matt, I think you're dying to ask Williams-esque questions here, aren't you? You're chomping at the bit. Um, we, we think that Mr. Carter will have some some insight on this because this this feels like his wheel his wheelhouse being a a businessy type investment type guy. Uh, where should we start, Matt? Well, I, I think we have to start, even though this is not my personal place. I would start because uh, I have some other team principal questions for you later on, but I think where we have to start is the discovery that the holding company that Doralton Capital used for this deal was called BCE, at which moment F1 conspiracy theorists over the world rejoice because that happens to be the uh, initials of one Bernard Eccleston, I believe. So is there any truth to this? Is Bernie secretly behind this? Is this his way of sneaking back into the sport because he just cannot possibly live without it? And remember, Matthew Carter, um, this is much like a courtroom. You cannot lie on a podcast or a, a fairy dies. No, that works with my daughter, not you. Tell us the truth. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I, the answer is I don't know. I would, I would, uh, I would assume not. I, I, I don't think it's anything to do with Bernie. Yeah. Um, he, the last time I spoke to him, he didn't seem to know of the people that had bought Williams. Um, my impression is that it's probably some sort of a liberty in, introduction rather than a a bernie formed mm. deal i think he's uh he's taken a step away from the sport and i think he's he's reasonably happy there now so, so, so if, if liberty are involved obviously perhaps that suggests that they're looking after that the health of the sport in general so they see a team that is failing and flailing if they simply were to drop off the face of the earth that's bad for Liberty. It's bad for F1. So I guess we start with the the troubles at Williams themselves because uh, we were speaking before, I mean, two seasons ago, two tests ago, 2019, when they missed, you know, a day of testing. And we figured, well, that's got to be financial. That's got to be some kind of financial holdup. And Claire Williams was like, no, definitely not. No, no more questions. Bye. Like that, that definitely was financial. And then obviously she made the comment that, you know, over her dead body, would they leave F1 or sell up? So she could have been in a similar position to you where you had to say things to to the media about the Renault transfer. Uh, but clearly, you know, while she was saying that stuff, she must have kind of had a hint in her mind that, no, it really wasn't sustainable. Um, 
Yeah, I, I mean, I guess so. It's um, so if if we if we call Lotus Stroke Renault Team Enstone for a minute, if you yeah. like, um, Team Enstone and Williams really are the last independent, fully manufacturing all their own parts, wind tunnel on site, driving the loop simulator on site, organizations that are out there. So McLaren as well, but McLaren obviously have got the the Bahrainis behind them, so they've they've got big big cash there. Outside of that, the only, the, the other smaller teams have got a very different business model. So Haas, obviously, all their all their manufacturing is done is is outsourced. Racing Point, all their manu- majority of their manufacturing is is outsourced. So they've got much smaller operations. So Williams and and Team Enstone really were the last bastions of. Uh, of making their own exhaust, designing their own suspension, things that a lot of the other teams just don't do. And it was always for years believed that that would give them a, um, that would give them a, 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 an advantage over the, 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 the other teams. Yeah. But I guess with the way that the engines moved on, then that, that advantage sort of narrowed. And once you've got those big overheads, it's hard to, to suddenly downsize them as I found out at Lotus. Right. And this brings me to, the main point of speculation outside of the whole conspiracy theory thing that I really am genuinely interested in is we're, we're going to talk about Doralton in a minute, but given what you know of situations like this, is Claire done for at this point? Do you think? And, and given that regardless, do you think she inherited an unwinnable situation or like, what is your judgment yeah. on, on her? Cause I, I keep on going back and forth. Cause I think maybe she was handed something that was, already pointed at the ground engines aflame and was simply and in even a handoff to another company at this point might have to be looked at as a bit of a success relative to what might have happened um as usual there's an awful lot of questions involved there um <laughs> i think i think claire is um she's a she's a very she's a nice person she's a very intelligent person she might not necessarily be the best man manager out there um but nor does she need to be really in the position that she was in um was she handed a a, i don't know how you phrased it a a smoking gun um i guess a little bit but that's the same with with any f1 team you know the the f1 teams go through cycles where i feel that she or they as a team dropped the ball slightly was that they didn't maximize on the mercedes-benz engine in the hybrid era um i think their development I think they got a bit of a false start on their development in 2014-15. I think they felt their car was better than it was. I know we've, you know, I, I've said this many times, but the engine made such a big difference in 2014-2015. Mm. Less so as we as we move through the, as as everyone catches up. But certainly at, in 14-15, I think that they really thought they turned a corner. They came third in the constructors, and they felt that they'd really, you know, all their problems were solved. And maybe they took their foot off the gas a little bit. Maybe they sat back on their laurels and, and felt that they'd, they'd achieved. And it takes a long time to get back from there. Um, and if you, yeah. if you miss a chunk of aero development, then it, it soon catches up with you. They then went down the route of bringing Paddy Lowe in, um, believing that he was responsible for all the success at Mercedes, I think. Um, and again, that potentially wasn't the best move. In terms of Claire, I, I, think, I, don't, I don't think she'll stay there. Um, I think she's also, and again, this is just me speculating. I think she's also kind of caught up in this, uh, how can you word it? F1 royalty, if you like. I mean, mm. she's there, you know, her dad's Frank Williams, you know, she's, she's Claire Williams in the, of the Williams F1 team. You know, it was, there's a big persona there. There's a big, uh, the big shoes to fill. Um, and maybe she, she tried and, um, and yeah, the fact that they've sold is, is great. The fact that they've got 
over 100 million euros for the team is is fantastic really i'm wondering if um if that that success you point to early in the hybrid era is the reason that they kept kind of distancing themselves away from like a customer team or like over investment and stuff like if they if they hadn't have had that success and they were you know the 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 rot that had set in you know in the paddy low era, era had been there a bit earlier you know could they have jumped on and said look mercedes we will Keep us fluid, keep us in engines. We'll do what you want. Put great young drivers, uh, you know, in this seat. We'll have Ocon and Russell. You just keep giving us free engines. You know, could they have done something like that that might have stymied this eventual? Because this is the end of Williams, isn't it? So could they have could they have held it off by becoming, you know, by getting in bed with Mercedes more? Yes, potentially. I, I mean, I don't think it's the end of Williams. I think they've, they've said that they're going to keep the name. Um, so it, it, it might be the end of the Williams family. Well, it is the end of the Williams family running the, the mm. business. It's certainly not the end of Williams. It's not the end of an F1 team. And I think that's an interesting point that, that you know, Liberty have, through the Concord Agreement and through the cost cap, you know, I, I take my hat off to Chase and what he's done. You know, that has secured those 10 teams. And that's a very different approach than Bernie had. If you remember, Bernie often would call some of the lower teams the gypsies of the paddock or whatever he called them and Oof. that he wasn't interested in having those people in and around. And um, he made those comments because Bernie always wanted F1 to be the best of the, you know, the, the elite, the best of the best. And and if you weren't the best of the best, then, then there was no place for you. Um, and just to point out, you know, we are aware of the connotations of that language. Mr. Carter is quoting Bernie Eccleston. We understand yeah, yeah. that it's is a direct, it's a direct quote. Yeah, direct yeah, it's quote. a direct quote. So yeah. we, we are understanding that that is considered a, a slur to, to some communities. Um, hello to our live stream. Everybody, have you got access to the live stream, Mr. Carter? Do you see them, the comments flying by? No. Oh, okay. Well, uh, I'm looking here and our friend Jotma is uh, possibly defending... Claire Williams saying it's easy to blame the whole thing on Claire, like many fans do. Lots of fans have a bad memory and suggest perhaps the fact she's a woman had an effect on the way fans and media talked and judged her. I know, Matt, that is an opinion that that you have also uh, speculated upon as well. Uh, It is hard, though, isn't it, Matt? I know you're her biggest kind of defender. Give, Give me something for what looks like the end of the Williams proper tenure, what is there to defend? You know, what, what, what's the, what's the case for? Well, if we're going to make a case for, uh, you would have to argue they're doing significantly better this year. When did she take over again? 2016. Like she did, first of all, she didn't really take over. Frank is still in charge. Yeah. That's still, problematic. Yeah. Right it was well before 2016. She, she came to the strategy group meetings with me. So 14, 15, she was in position as, well, she is still deputy team principal. Frank's Frank's officially the team principal. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, I think that's probably a bit of a tricky thing to navigate when your dad, who is the namesake, still is technically in charge. Um, I would I would argue that the Patty Lowe thing was was a total disaster. But she had prior to doing that, she wasn't in the loop at all for the business. So essentially, you know, most people. Uh, either come in and are business only or they come up through the ranks. But I, I don't think she really had the same kind of background that a lot of team principals had. So it was also a lot of learning on the job. They sold off advanced engineering. They took yeah. the company public. Like, I don't know if any of these were her choices or not, or she was simply left to deal with things that other people decided to the best of her ability. And then yeah, at the end, at the end of it all, the Williams name continues the team stays at Grove. 
and the heritage continues to be in the sport and they get an infusion of cash. So if nothing else, yeah. at the very, very end, I think you'd have to say she did a decent job of engineering the handover, if nothing else. So yeah, just, I agree. Just to answer a question from Daniel there who said, uh, did Doralton, Doralton? Is that what we're calling it? What are we calling it? I'm good at pronouncing it. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to keep saying Dorito. That's disrespectful. Um, did they buy the engineering as well? I b- believe that got sold off beforehand. So they're just buying the Formula One team. Yeah. Okay. The, the, the way it went was they sold off the Kerr's bus unit back in the 2010s. And around 2013 or 14, I believe they sold off advanced engineering. It, it must have been maybe even later, like 2015, which was a surprise to me. And that's when I thought, oh, that's not good because you don't. Because that was that was what made money for them. That was what funded the F1 team. And I believe Williams also invented the thing that uh, stops buses automatically rolling downhill on hill starts. I think that's true. Or I just made that up in my head. Uh, now, Mr. Carter, Matthew Carter, ex-Lotus CEO. If you had to completely guess, com- like just a complete wild guess, what do you think is the future of that what we can call the principal position at Williams, the the position currently occupied by Claire Williams. Is it is it going to be Claire or is it going to be someone else? If you had to guess and speculate wildly. I, I don't think it will be Claire. Um, I think they'll probably be fairly... So again, the, the final point on Claire really is that I think she did do a good job with the tools that she was given. Um, and there's a lot of other people that need to take responsibility for problems that they have there. So when Matt said about them going public, um, taking the company public, that was Toto that did that. Toto was the one that instigated that that whole that whole movement, and they went public on some random stock exchange somewhere like Austria, or well, if it was Toto, it probably was Austria. But they went they went public on a on a stock exchange somewhere in Europe. That um, she's got um, the CEO there is uh, is it Michael Driscoll? But there's but there's certainly there's there's certainly lots of other um, people in position. So. When I was at Lotus, I was CEO and team principal because we we were a smaller team. But there, she's got people that should be doing the business side of things right. for her. She's really kind of there to to deal with the media, and you know, she had Paddy Lowe there to deal with the sporting side, and and whoever has replaced him. Um, so there's a lot of other people, and they did do they did a good job of bringing sponsors on board. Um, you know, there's there's been there's issues with sponsors in Formula One, as as we know, and um, they'll continue to be so. But they did they did a fairly good job with that. So. I think she did a good job all in all. Um, I do, however, think that that she'll be replaced. I think they will replace the sort of the financial and the business people, probably with people that they know. Um, and then I would assume they'll go for somebody with a little bit of background and history in F1 to be the team principal and to and to run the race team, if you like. Well, someone someone with a solid two years experience and a financial background. That sounds ideal. Are you not you're not in the frame? Are you not even in the frame? Have you not put your CV in? No, no, I haven't. No, it's only one button. It's like the old football manager when you you want to. What we should have done is we should have spread a rumor here that that you are the best man for the job. Would you Would you be tempted? Um, I I, I potentially would be tempted. I don't know. I uh, I've always said that I wouldn't go back, but who knows? And uh, yeah, no, I don't really have a CV. So um, I if, mean, uh, yeah, you don't have a CV. Of course you do. Ooh. No, if things like if 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 positions like that come up then they tend to find you <laughs> not the not the not the other way around well i'll tell you what let's play a, a little guessing game uh, matt if you if we're if we're looking to fill it with somebody with recent chat room you can play along as well but fill it with someone with recent f1 experience who 
Who who do you think could fill those shoes, Matt, if, if you had to speculate? Well, I mean, are we going to speculate about people who are currently working for teams? Or is it <gasps> off limits to could, speculate that way? Could it be stolen? Could they they wouldn't they wouldn't poach someone, would they? They're a they're a nice team, Mr. Carter. Um I'm sure they're a nice team under the Williams. I mean, I think the uh venture capitalists are venture capitalists and they 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 don't necessarily play by uh play by the nice rules. So I think, yeah, potentially people that are other teams could be up for grabs. You know, there's there's people that have recently been team principals that aren't anymore. You know, Eric Boulier is still out there. Um, I don't know how much he damaged his stock um, at McLaren, but um, yeah, there's a, there's a number of names and faces that could potentially turn up there. Uh, let's see, Mark Greenhouse says, the reason that you are smirking in the background is because the pay cut would be too much. Is it good pay? Is it profitable being an F1 principal? <laughs> Is it profitable? Yeah. You mean, is it a good wage? Yeah, it's something I should encourage I, I my boy know. to do. It depends. It depends where you are. <laughs> I know uh, Toto certainly does very well. Fair enough, Matt. Uh, we should talk perhaps Concord Agreement then, as this seems to be what kicked off this latest bit of news. We've not really had a chance to discuss it, but I know you've been all over it. The teams have all agreed to something, something at a certain time, and to all do a thing, but no one's happy. Aw, I don't get to play my game of explain the business speak to me, Mr. Carter. Maybe we could do that later. Explain the what, sorry? The business speak. Is this is this where you go back to the subject when I move on? I said maybe we could go back to it go later. Go on, just do it so now. No, it's go not. On, do it now. Go on. Which business No, 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 no. Well, I, I just, I wanted to play a little, the thing that confuses me most, and you say Liberty made the introduction, so I suppose it is. But in looking over just their website, some of the things they say about how they deal with businesses confuse me, that they target deep fragmented industries, industrial services, healthcare services, but they look for smaller companies can be considered as bolt-ons to our existing portfolio companies. And I just didn't know if looking at their, looking at their stuff, if this really made sense for them. It, it doesn't. I mean, from the outside looking in, and, and I honestly don't have any insight in it, it doesn't look like it makes sense. Um, doesn't make sense. It doesn't seem to fit with their existing profile, if you like. Now, whether that's because you you never know, maybe one of the owners is an F1 fanatic. Maybe yeah. there is some link with someone at Liberty who's talked to them. Um, if you do a deep dive into uh, owning an F1 team prior to the cost cap, then, you know, it potentially you, you waste an awful lot of money, but the, the cost cap certainly helps. Um, which segues nicely into the Concord Agreement. The Concord Agreement being signed helps as well. Um, and I don't think they make the details of the Concord Agreement necessarily public, but I know what I've been told. Um, and what I've been told is that the the way that they, obviously they've tried to trim Ferrari's wings a little bit by not mm. giving them as much of a, of a, of a, of a kickstart. Um, but what they've done is the teams have agreed, I think, to a smaller portion, if you call it a pot, which is how they refer to it in the Concord Agreement, the, the pot of prize money, the teams have agreed to a split of a smaller amount, but in essence, it's a bigger pot because they're going to be more races. So the idea that they go to 25 races is their target. Blimey. And this was a big part of the negotiation. Again, I, th I think this is public, but I'm not really sure whether I've heard this or whether I've read it. But the, 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 the target is to aim for 25 races. And obviously 25 races means that the pot of money that comes in from the promoters and mm. from the, the TV rights is, is a bigger pot. So in essence, the way they sold it to the teams is you agree to take a smaller 
portion of that pot, but the pot is essentially a bigger pot. There's other interesting things that have sort of generated from that. And it's kind of clever how Liberty have managed to work through this with the Concord Agreement and with the, with coronavirus, because there's a lot more tracks that have become Formula One accredited now. So the fact that Portimao got his F1 accreditation and some of the other ones like Turkey regaining it, because it's not that's not a straightforward thing. You, know, you don't just have a circuit and say, put your hand in the air and say, I want F1 to come here. To be F1 accredited is the is the pinnacle of a of a motor of a of a of a racetrack. So for example, Brands Hatch in the UK, for them to have an F1 race there would cost an awful lot of money because runoffs have to be extended, catch fences have to be changed, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Even the asphalt has to be changed. So these racetracks that have taken the punt and getting themselves up to F1 standard, all of a sudden come into that pool of, of races. So what Liberty can do, and I, I, I've heard this directly, that they, they can now negotiate a little bit harder. So if Barcelona turn around and say, we're not prepared to pay this extortionate race fee that, you've, that you're wanting to charge us in 2023, Liberty can turn around and say, okay, well, we'll go to Portimao. Or if Silverstone say they don't want to do it, they can go to Turkey or they can add in uh, Imola or they can, you know, so all of a sudden they've got this pot of extra races. And I think it's quite clever and it's, and it's potentially a positive that's going to come out of this whole pandemic for Liberty. So um, I, I had read uh, an article by your friend and our friend, Joe Saywood, and he had talked extensively about how having all of these races in a fairly short time period had been also kind of like a preview for when we have more races. And we're yeah. coming up on a race that's only going to be a two-day event. Yeah. Um, and one of the things he did talk about was the fact that the teams were traveling lighter. They weren't bringing the motorhomes. Do you really think that that sort of thing is going to be the way of the future in terms of being able to schedule 25 races and still keep everybody fairly fit and healthy? Well, some, something has to give to do 25 races, that's for sure. I mean, we were already at breaking point at 21, I think, in, in, my, last, in my last season. Um, so whether or not that means that you have two sets of people whether it means that you have, but obviously, I mean, the, it, it's not so much breaking point for the drivers and the senior management because they can mm. they can rock in on a Thursday and leave yeah. on a Sunday night. It's the guys that are building the garages and and, and dismantling and, and and rebuilding the car every week. Um, so it's achievable. Um, what the I mean, the motorhomes did come to Spa. I think that was the first time that they'd had the motorhomes, so they are starting to travel with motorhomes again now. And I think they will have to do that in the future because that's kind of your your epicenter when you're at a racetrack. Um, the shorter race weekends is potentially good for the teams and, and good for spectators. Yeah. It's terrible for the promoters. Is it? So, what, yeah, it's, it's, it's one day less of uh, uh, gate seats, of food and beverage, of merchandise sales. It's, you know, it's, it's a third of, effectively, a third of your, um, your income. But it's not directly a third because you charge more mm. for a Saturday and a Sunday. But it's, it's a chunk of your revenue that goes down. So, once again, the promoters... And that's why I, I understand in the latest promoters meeting, there was, there was some upset and some concern because at the moment, it does seem that the promoters are the ones that are getting, they're getting kicked. Oh, right. So the promoters, of course, um, when you say they're getting kicked, you mean they're getting kicked with this new Concord agreement? Uh, short, uh, well, is, it, is, it just, is it just the shorter race weekends or are they being asked to, to stump up more? Well, the shorter race weekends, and and as I said just now, with the with the expanding uh, whatever you want to call it portfolio of potential mm. racetracks, ah. then there's there's other places they can go to. So Liberty can turn around and say, okay, we want to increase your race fee. 
Um, so it just seems that the promoters, and I know the promoters all sit together. They have they have they have regular meetings. I know they all sat together and they they aired some concerns. Or they could come back and say, "Fine, if you don't want yes. to increase your race fee, you only get two days." Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And as a, as a last lap in the chat says, um, Imola might be quite um, quite telling uh, for for this two day format because you know they're planning to skip the Friday. I, I'm wondering whether audiences out there are are getting some fatigue from the races. I mean, we are so used to 16, 17, 18, 19, 20 uh, races a year. That still leaves kind of these periods where we have two weekends without a race or you have a summer break where there's three weekends without a race. And we're not getting that now. We've now had, we've had 45 races in 11 weeks, haven't we, Matt? And it has been a roller coaster. There's been... There's been just no let up. You're just over one race and then suddenly it's Friday practice again. Now, personally, I'm loving it. I'll eat and sleep F1. But there will be a lot of F1 fans out there who are like, oh, another one. Well, I'm not not that sure. You know, it's not, it's, it's not the whole F1 fan base that will be tuning into every single race. If they if they doubled the races, you're not doubling the impressions is my point, I think. No, that's true. That's true. But then but but don't forget Liberty. um well, there's different ways of looking at it. Liberty is slightly different, but certainly under Bernie's era, the only thing that they were really interested was interested in was the um, TV rights um, and the promoters' fees. So, you know, they weren't necessarily that interested in how many people watch because, yes, they'd get more for the TV rights the more that people watch, but they're kind of set in stone in their long-term agreements. Yeah, and this I, I like Spanner's point. At, at how many races... Yeah. Are we going to start losing eyeballs because it's just too many races? I mean, I assume Liberty's probably paying a lot of attention to their stats as we have three race weekends in a row versus two in a row and and how they do when they have the week off. But do you think overexposure is a potential problem here? And And then secondly, while it's very useful to bleed promoters for every last cent, at what point do they risk doing themselves damage trying to get a bigger pot because everybody just goes broke? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. No, it's, it, it's all valid points. I think you have to take this year, obviously, as being yeah. an anomaly. Um, so if they have 20, and I think that's why they said 25 races. Um, again, my understanding is that they wanted more and the teams wanted less and they ended up agreeing on 25. 25 seems a number that would probably work. Um, obviously, that's one every two weeks um, with no off with, with no off season. So you, you bring in the off season, you throw in a, a few double headers, then it's, it's manageable. Um, and you'll still get that regular two week gap between the races. And there's a, a lot of um, F1 widows and widow, widowers out there when they hear the news of the calendar. In, in fact, I mean, my plan is to simply not tell my wife that there's going to be 25 races a year. And then she, what another one? What another one? And just see if she notices that in the time that we've been covering F1 on a podcast, it's gone from like 17 races to, to 25. But I, I'm amazed that they wanted even more. I think that would be insane. Daniel in our chat room pointed out that, um, and I, don't, I can't verify if this is true, that um, NASCAR has suffered horribly from overexposure. And it sounds like Liberty haven't realized that. Does that track you, North American, you two? I don't watch NASCAR. Oh, okay. I mean, I think it's true in any sport. There can mm. be too much of a good thing. You know, you you always say leave them wanting. You leave them wanting a little bit more, right? When I even, used to, even on our show, we rarely go above two and a half or three hours. Oh, shut up! 
<laughs> Even when I was like really deep into football, which I'm not anymore, I, I used to really think the summer break was was getting ridiculous. You know, you used to have a big long summer break. Then suddenly, like the summer, if even if there wasn't a tournament, you would suddenly have, you know, the community shield and you'd have your preseason friendlies and then the, the qualifying for the Champions League. And there was there was no break. And I think we're going to have to get to that point with F1, Matt, where, you know, we're going to wrap up the season early December. Then there's going to be races again in February and it's not going to feel very f one yeah, no, it, it I just, don't think so. I, no. I think they'll keep the. I, sorry, I no, think they'll keep the length of the calendar the same. That's why they're. That's why they're trialing this two-day weekend in Imola, and that's why they're going to try and see if they can do more double headers. So I think they'll still go March till December, with a test in February, um, they'll, but they'll just cram those races in. Uh, when I said you two North Americans, obviously, Mister Carter, you do not sound very American. Uh, but you are a resident of Canada. Are you a citizen? Is that is that a personal question? You're just a resident. It's a slightly personal question, I but no, I'm it not. Is. I'm not. Yeah. I, it takes it takes time oh, okay. to become a, to become a resident. Sorry, I didn't mean to affect your chances of becoming Canadian king. Okay. Is there a king? I think it's a king in Canada. Sorry if I affected your chances of being king of Canada. But uh, but the reason I, I mentioned that is you're in Canada and there's no Canadian Grand Prix. I, I know they said no early on. But with all these new dates popping up, was there no chance of a reprieve ever? Uh, did we not? No, basically. I um, but I I kind of knew that very early on. I think ah. um, I think the whole F one um, circus coming across to North or South America was 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 never going to happen. Um, they tried to keep it as much. They started off in Europe, as we know. They tried to keep it as many races that people could drive to as possible. And now they've just sort of extended it out into the, into the Middle East. Um, and I don't think there was ever any chance that they would, mm. they would go to Asia or to Australasia or, or to North or South America. I think that was off the cards from an early stage. The, um, the promoter here in Canada tried to keep hopes alive. I think a lot of the promoters did because the minute that they um, canceled the race, they, they have to give back the, either give back or, or give free tickets next year to, to people that were coming to the race. So they tried to linger on as long as possible. Uh, and I guess it makes sense to a certain extent sort of to gradually release the monies rather than have to come up with it all at once. Um, so someone in the chat has said that NASCAR actually has 38 races a year. Ooh. And yeah, I could see where that would get, that could get yeah. tiring. Um, but also Anders in the chat brings up sort of an interesting thing as you talk about your promoter in Canada if promoters are going to be, because I'm guessing that it's a very much a year-to-year thing with them, if they're going to be in trouble, what are the possibilities that Liberty might look to take that role from them and integrate that way? I mean, they could do, but the 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 whole point is that um, the, the promoters don't necessarily make any money unless they are... So it's difficult with promoters. So, so, so here in Montreal, I, I know very, very well, because I looked into it with Bernie at the, um, after we sold the team. And um, so the government here in Canada pays a chunk of cash to Formula One to have the race. So the race fee here is covered by a little bits paid by the promoter from ticket sales, um, um, food and beverage, merchandise, whatever. And then the government, Tourism Canada, pays a big chunk of money. So you've got Quebec pay money, Canada pays money and Montreal pays money. So there's three different levels of, of government funding that comes. And that's because here in Montreal, and again, I know the stats exactly. So here in Montreal, back in 2015, a million extra people came to the city 
over the race over the race weekend. Yeah. Now of that million, three hundred thousand. Well, three hundred thousand go to the circuit. Is a hundred thousand a day go to the circuit? So forget the fact that one guy could go all three days just for the yeah. my simplistic maths. So there's three quarters of a million extra people coming to Montreal just to be in Montreal over F1 race weekend. That's because they want to go to the parties. They want to go, they want to be, they close off sections of the street. The drivers come and do appearances. You know, they have runs of cars up and down the streets, et cetera, et cetera. So certainly here in Montreal, it's, it's a huge draw for people to come to the city and some of the bars and the restaurants and the hotels make more over that race weekend than they make for six months of the rest of their, of the rest of their business. So with coronavirus, obviously there's no tourism. So there's no, there's nobody coming. So there's nobody to pay those fees. So the promoter has got, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a tricky thing. And I think if Liberty decided to become a promoter themselves, then it's a whole business model that they're not, they're not set up for. And I, I don't think it would work. That's very interesting, uh, because the moment you said government money, I thought, hmm, well, now that does sound like very intriguing. And they may not be set up to do that directly themselves, but they do they not have a whole division they used to be associated with that puts on huge concerts and have brand name concert artists. So if I'm getting a promotion contract, the government is paying a huge chunk of it. And I have a concert promoting division that would actually probably run it as promoter. And now I'm most now I'm guaranteed most of that money from a government, and I don't even really have to worry about it all that much. I don't know. It, it was just a thought. But they're already getting the money from the government anyway. Mm. So certainly here in Montreal, again, I can speak for Montreal. I can't speak for all the other races, but I'm sure there's a similar model aside from the the Abu Dhabis, where it's 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 some king that's paying the whole fee out of his uh, his, his his loose change draw. Um, here it's a tri-party agreement. So it's the promoter, it's the, the city and it's in its FOM and the city pays FOM directly with money from the Canadian government, from the Quebec government and from the, the city itself. And it's done because they want tourism. They want the, the taxes that that, you know, the, the, the sales tax and whatever that that generates. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. 
Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Well, I'm going to cut in, though, because you mentioned uh, people coming to uh, Montreal and every F1 venue because they want to be part of the social scene and want to be part of F1 parties. And I, I, I dream, Mr. Carter, I dream about those days where we're going to, as Mr. Apex, be invited to all these fancy VIP parties. Um, getting on a bit now, so I will need to go home around 10.30 to get a good night's sleep, otherwise I'll get cranky. Uh, but my, my friend who's um, uh, a DJ and gets hired for uh, a lot of these events sends me these photos. I'm so jealous. Are they as good as I'm imagining? Am I, am I, like, uh, am I right to be jealous? Um... Well, I, I didn't during my time. I didn't go to an awful lot, so oh, yeah. I guess it's like anything. No. <laughs> some some of some of them are, and some of them aren't. Some of them are better than others. The, um, there was an incredible party at, in Bahrain at the the Crown Prince's house. Um, I bet. Yeah, Monaco. There's, there's some incredible parties in Monaco, <laughs> but likewise, there's drivel in some Is places there? as well. So it's you know it's it's just. Um, so for all these races, it's just kind of like-minded people. If you want to call them petrol heads, you can do, but it's like-minded people being in the same place for the for the love of, of F1. I mean, Montreal turns into a whole, you can't walk through the city centre without seeing Ferrari shirts and, uh, you know, Lando Norris baseball caps and Max Verstappen, whatever. you know, it's, it's, it's just everywhere. I, I think I'd be too much like Eliza Doolittle anyway. You know, it's not my sort of people. I'd go straight to the shrimp bit and I'd be dipping shrimp in the chocolate fountain. And people, what, what's he doing? And I'd be there with my marbles in my mouth trying to pronounce my H's. So it's probably all but for the you best. Were, if, if, if the world didn't break, you were due to come to Montreal this year anyway, weren't you? Oh, totally. A hundred percent. You know, yeah. Well, we'll do what? Well, you mean you're going to invite me to the King of Canada's no, F1 party? No, you were. That we, were. we were talking about it. We were talking about you coming up. I've, do you know what? Everything we were planning before the world went upside down, like it's become like a distant memory. We had so many plans for Mr. Apex and it all yeah. just got ripped apart. But um, for 2021, I just, I think we've got to scroll back through all my emails and remember, like go into my 2019 New Year's dream journal and, and start all that back up again. Uh, but, you know, I mean, that's the same for a lot of organisations, Montreal itself and the, and the F1 track. It, it has to suddenly go, right, no, we missed a year, but now we have to get our heads back in gear for 2021. And, well, who knows if 2021 is going to be 100% occupancy again. I mean, it's that's... Did I not see this morning that Turkey have released 100,000... Um, they want 100,000 people to come? Yes. That's three euros a day or something. Like that. Oh, hang on I think Magello too is maybe selling some tickets as well. Now the reason oh, really? the reason you just heard some odd noises, Mr. Carter, is because I've been experimenting with taking calls from uh, people calling in, and we've we've dropped the the link in our <laughs> Patreon Slack group because they're the people we can trust to you know come on the phone with their radio turned down and to and and to 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 be listening in and waiting for me to say hello. Um, but we've trialed it on Remain Indoors, and it's kind of worked, Matt, hasn't it? It's kind of worked. More often than not, yes. And we trialed it on our patron-only live stream. So the first ever person on a regular show to call in is Jonathan. Hello, Jonathan. Uh, hang on, I've asked him to unmute, so you've got to click unmute. It's great, it's great. This happens on the real radio, though, so that's fine. And no, now he's unable to unmute. Oh, he can't do it. Right, we'll have to put him back in. We'll put him back in the uh, in the waiting room, and we'll we'll try again. We'll try again later. There we go, Matt. 
we were rewarded with our efforts uh, by failing hard. Uh, what were we talking about just before that? <laughs> we were talking about um, you brought up Turkey oh, yeah. and Turkey. the ticket sales. Yes, which of course. Seems- yes. Uh, I don't like this, Mr. Carter. I don't like it at all. We've just gone through a whole year of like making tons of sacrifices. F1 has, uh, in my opinion, pointlessly had masks when they're outside anyway. You know, in the interviews, yeah, yeah. they're like five meters apart. You're outside. You don't need to wear a mask. But it's all been about, you know, a front and putting on this image that yeah. they're, they're definitely doing all the right things. We've gone through all that pain. We've had uh, behind closed doors races. And now they're talking about attracting 100,000 people to the Turkish Grand Prix, uh, it doesn't sit well for me. Why am I wrong? No, I agree. I agree. I, I, I saw that this morning, literally a few hours before we came on the podcast, and, and I, was, I was shocked. I mean, as I said beforehand, I'm, I'm not convinced that 2021 season they're going to be um, 100% capacity. And even if they are prepared to be 100% capacity, is there going to be a want of the public to be in... In, in close quarters with, with other members of the public. I, I just don't know. Well, according to at least uh, two people in the chat, including Honor Corre, the tickets are going to be around €3.75 mm. per day. And I'd argue at those prices, you might get the odd thrill seeker making the drive. Mm. Um, I agree. I don't think I, I'm not happy about it. But does Liberty have control uh, when it comes to the promoter over that? No. Well, as, as far as I understand, no. And I think that's why um, Russia are also selling tickets, I think. Um, I, th- I think it's very much, it's, it's the promoter's call governed by the, the, the laws or the, the rules or whatever's been decided within that, within that country. Yeah, all right. I didn't realise that at all. So this is not F1 saying, okay, now it's time to, now it's time to re- remove those restrictions. It's actually the track themselves. I, w- I would have thought that the FIA would have some kind of input but i guess as a promoter they're paying for the privilege of putting on aren't they so exactly exactly i mean and that's the interesting thing that's happened through this this whole it's turned into a coronavirus talk again hasn't it (laughs) um but that's interesting that's happened through this is that liberty were paying the tracks to start with and now the tracks are starting to pay them again so i know that abu dhabi are paying um almost a full race fee um, so whether they have fans or they don't have fans but they're paying whereas at the start of all this if you remember Silverstone were having a negotiation with Liberty when, where Liberty were paying Silverstone to to host a race, because obviously there's no, there's no way for that promoter to to generate the funds. Yeah, uh, well, I I don't know if I'm quite up for my my tick my ticket to uh, my ticket to Turkey just yet, but I might be booking my my Tui flight to Portimao if they're selling tickets. We've got a live caller. We're going to try again. We are not deterred, and we are joined on the line by uh, Marcio. Marcio, welcome to Miss Apex Podcast. Thank you very much. Oh, well, do you have a question or comment for us? Where, where in the world are you calling us from, Marcio? I'm calling from Germany today, and I would like to ask Mr. Carter what his take is on how Mr. Alonso will get along <laughs> with your Renault buddies. Uh, yeah, it's an interesting one. I, th- I think he'll do. I think he'll do all right. He. Um... You have to remember that Team Enstone, as, as I'll refer to it, or, or we can call it Renault, but Team Enstone, there's a lot of people there that have been there for a lot of years. Um, and even when I was there, a lot of the people that worked for me had worked with and around Fernando when he won his world championship. Um, and every day when I went to my office, the world championship trophy was sitting there outside the office with, with his name on it. So he's got a lot of friends there. Um, 
I'm not sure how his temperament and the French temperament are gonna are gonna match. Um, there could be there could be some issues there, but uh, no, I think he'll do all right. I think he'll do all right. And if he's there with um, Ocon and, and Ocon can pick up and uh, take some tips from him, then then all the better. Um, but I think it's a reasonably good fit. I think it's good for Renault. You know that I think the Ricciardo um, signing and the way that he left mm. has been bad for Renault in terms of their how they've been perceived. Um, in the negotiations, in the way that Ricciardo acted, in just simply in the amount of cash that he's taken for for what he's done over the over the two years that he's been there, um, so I think Alonso potentially gives them that star name potentially at not the same price as as Ricciardo. So hopefully he'll do well. I, I, I like Fernando. I think he's a, he's a great driver. Obviously coming towards the end of his career, but I think he's still got some good racing left in him. Ah, so you like um, Fernando. The thing I like about Fernando Alonso is he's so clearly very, very passionate. Like there's a, a PR wall from a lot of the, the drivers where they try and keep it cool. They keep a lot of things on their chest. Obviously the Finnish drivers, that's a cultural thing. Valtteri Bottas, very you know, quiet on the outside, fiery on the inside. But uh, Fernando Alonso... If he thinks something, he will tell you. And even on social media, like if you tag Fernando Alonso on Twitter, you are quite likely to get a response, especially if you're like having a dig at him. He will fire back at you. Uh, Marcio, thank you for your call. Are you a Fernando Alonso fan? Um, I'm an admirer of his driving, but I wouldn't call myself a fan. And are you hope? Are you at least hoping for a, a good result for Fernando? Actually, I'm I'm one of those few who are looking forward to seeing him struggle. To oh. be honest, <laughs> <laughs> well, that is that is quite the thing, and I think you're not alone at all, Marcio. Thank you so much for calling into Missed Apex Podcast. There we go. I'm not very good at saying goodbye on call-in type things, guys. Like even on even on like on radio, if like Pat from Cambridge calls in about her petunias, and we've been having a lovely conversation when she's when she's going to go, I'm like, oh no, what if I never speak to Pat again? Goodbye, Pat back come back and I, and I and I always do the thing where I go no, no I basically say no you hang up except I'm a professional radio presenter and I definitely shouldn't um I think uh, I think that was a success um we will start to do these kind of uh, call-ins more and more uh, and we might look to do some dedicated call-in shows as well if it becomes popular we'll just set up me and Matt and or a guest and we'll just line up call after call and we'll set up a phone number and everything shall we finish on Ferrari Matt I think Ferrari would be a good place to go um i'm going to pause to give you an opportunity to go back to a subject that i thought we'd uh done and finished uh before i move on well that was the guessing game but if you're going to give me free choice should <laughs> should we ask quickly um about about perez oh crikey yes oh i nearly said a bad word there i'm glad crikey came out there's the training kicking in um sergio perez everyone was on the bandwagon uh mr carter that uh, Vettel was going to uh, was going to uh, Racing Point or to Aston uh, Aston Martin as yeah. it would be then. Um, I have to say I, I never quite bought it, mainly because I'm a, a big Sergio Perez fan and I don't want to see him have to go to Alpha or something like that. Do you have any insight and or speculation as to as to what's going on there? Uh, I don't have any insight. I um, I believe I, I think I think Vettel will probably crop up there. You think so? No. Why? I just think that Lawrence is trying to build... Um, how's the best way to word this? Lawrence is... You know, he's obviously he's got Aston Martin road cars. He's got his F1 team. He's trying to build a... Or turn around, potentially, a brand in Aston Martin, which is which is big. I think Vettel 
as a four-time world champion, um, potentially gives him more than Perez. In terms of in terms of marketing, in terms of uh, potentially what he can do on the track, but in terms of in terms of marketing and in terms of him pushing uh, the company forward, I'm thinking of a number, and that number is big enough to make him reconsider. I've heard that Perez has raised more money from the sponsors. If you were in charge of this decision, is there an amount of money Perez could bring to the team that you'd be like? Mm, yeah, okay, that's totally worth it. Sorry, Seb, we love you very much, and we really like to have you. But um, I don't think so. I th- I think that Lawrence has. Uh, I think he's got enough money that he doesn't have, he doesn't need to. I mean, everyone everyone likes to have a bit more money, obviously, and everyone likes the the team to be less draining. But um, certainly with the cost cap now and the way that things are structured, he knows that he's not going to have to plow as much money potentially in there as 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 he would have done a few years ago. So I think when Lawrence sets his mind on getting someone, then, then he's going to get them. Um, and I think that's probably what's going to happen. Oh, that's kind of disappointing. I, I'm disappointed because I don't think Lance Stroll is as... I know he's improved, but I don't think he's as good as the Sergio Perez's and the Vettel's and the Hulkenberg's of this world. So, you know, we're, we're looking at Perez, who, by the way, was still in contract, and he has a lot of backing behind him. Like, do... Can you can you guess at what would happen, you know, to that? Like, are they just going to have to buy him out of what is a new deal? So, if it's anything like football yeah. contracts, it's going to cost them a, a heck of a lot to buy him out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, financially, it's uh, it's it's going to cost a lot of money. It's yeah, they'll they'll have to buy him out, and they'll obviously have to give Vettel a reasonable salary. I would have thought to to bring him in, um, but I don't. Th- I think they're trying to, or Lawrence is trying to build something over there at Racing Point, and and. Not money is no object, but that he's <laughs> he's really throwing cash at it. I mean, he's uh, my understanding is BWT are gone next year um, because he's adamant that the car the car is going to be green, and BWT s- specifically want the car to be pink. Um, so that's another big chunk of cash um, that he's potentially prepared to walk away from. Okay, BWT, right? So they've been in the sport a while. Everyone kind of you know we know the Pink Panthers, and and it's made its mark. But like I'm none the wiser uh, as to what BWT is. Does BWT, whoever they are and whatever they do, get value from from their time in F1? It's, I think it stands for best water technology. Um, okay. But it's it's they're a, they're a water they're a refined water company, um, and apparently they do sell a lot of product in in Europe, and that's where they they market them themselves a lot in Europe. So I think they probably gained a fair bit of uh, exposure from it. And I suppose they're not selling to like the likes of uh, me and Matt on the street, they're, you know, they're going to clients and saying, yeah, yeah, no, that's right. We're the guys who do the Formula One thing. You watch it. Tell you what, don't make a decision now. Come along to Barcelona, watch the Grand Prix with us, and then we'll talk about it. I guess it's that kind of thing. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, dear. So I don't know. It's just, I'm disappointed by that. But yeah, if there's money's no object. I think what people sometimes uh, don't realize is that Lawrence Stroll, if he wanted, he could probably make a bid for F1. Um, no, I'm, I'm not. Well, maybe I don't know. <laughs> Everything that Lawrence does, he does with a consortium of others. So he's very right. careful about how he does things. So Aston Martin, if you ever read any of the, the the press releases, he's heading the consortium that bought it, and the same with Racing Point. But um, on on sheer numbers, no, he couldn't. He could probably leverage the money to buy it if he wanted <laughs> to. But um, I think he's got his hands full with Aston Martin now. 
And, and since uh, you seem to have some insight on, on Lawrence Stroll, I'm not suggesting that you're close personal friends or that you go round to his house for Christmas dinners. Let's say Lance Stroll suddenly goes, do you know what, do you know what Dad? Um, ballet has always been my passion. I can't remember what that Northern film was. And he goes off and he, he pursues uh, a career in the arts. Does Lawrence Stroll still pursue F1? Does he still pursue Aston Martin? Um, you know, because a lot of people think, well, it's just about his son. Uh, yeah, I tend to agree. I mean, Lawrence, Lawrence will say publicly um, that he's been involved in Formula One for a long time. He's, he's passionate about the sport. You know, he's got a great car collection. He's got a big history with Ferrari, et cetera, et cetera. But I honestly don't think he would have bought the team if it wasn't for his son. And if his son decided to go elsewhere, then I think he would probably up sticks and go elsewhere. But Aston Martin, the road cars, is a different is a different kettle of fish. That is, he's taken that in his, um, he likes to buy brands and turn them around. So he did the same thing with Ralph Lauren, Tommy Hilfiger, mm-hmm. Michael Kors. That's, that's where he's earned his money. And he thinks that Aston Martin has got the potential to be a bigger brand than it, than it is now. That's interesting. And Stuart Akari has uh, saved us once again, as the chat room often do, and said, of course, it was Billy Elliot. That's right. I, I knew that. I knew that. I, I know all the lines from that film. Dad, I want to be a ballet dancer. That was the that was on the trailer, I remember. Question from one of our patrons. Uh, you like that northern accent? That's why I'm such a great uh, audiobook wordsmith, because of my brilliant range of accents. Uh, oh, right, yes. Yeah. Uh, BB in our patron Slack group, asked a question, and she would just like your opinion, Mr. Carter. Uh, what does Matthew Carter think Ferrari should do now in terms of management? Stick with Bonotto and try and work things through or sack him for another team principal? I think they should stick with him. Really? I don't think that... Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's easy to pick the person at the top and to suggest that they're responsible for everything that's going wrong below, but it's... There's clearly more to this, and it's clearly been going on uh, prior to prior to him taking over. So the decisions that they made in terms of whatever they did with their engine were made in advance of him. Probably made around the around 2014 when the when the engine regulations changed, and they ran off down that path. And they're now they've been halted, and they're now trying to trying to jump onto another path. So it's going to take some time, but you know he's. I think he's doing a reasonably good job. You know how excited I get when you mention technical things. Um, it has been suggested to me by certain other people who know more than I do that what was happening was that they had solved the problem they had with knock by using the extra fuel to cool the engine and therefore were able to derive more power from it. And the issue there, and I think you might be able to speak to this, is that once you start doing that, all of your fuels and lubricants and everything else are developed by all of your partners to work with an engine like that. And so mm. when you take it all away, you're not just taking away the one little toy that lets you sneak a little bit of extra fuel in. It's like, I don't even think it's enough to make a power difference because it's extra fuel, like Red Bull in the first race with their broken fuel flow meter. Yeah. I think it's it was a tactical thing to get more power out of the engine across a whole race and in qualifying. And But it sets you back immensely. Yeah, of course. I mean... I- without going into as much technical detail, but yeah, I, I agree. I think that they've, they've gone down this philosophy and once you, once you go down the route, it's very hard to come back in terms of, in terms of everything, in terms of downforce, in terms of, 
you know, the way you set your car up in terms of your suspension, everything is is kind of linked around. We we always said at Lotus, when we put the Mercedes engine in the back and you've got that extra power, then all of a sudden the downforce that you were seeing in the wind tunnel that wasn't necessarily working with a slightly underpowered Renault would suddenly start working. And when you've got more downforce and you go into the corners that bit quicker, then suddenly the suspension changes or the suspension starts to work better. And, you know, it's, it, it's all relative and, you know, every small incremental change that they make and Ferrari will be making updates every single week for years and years and years. Yeah. All those updates have been, have been rooted back to an engine that was supplying that sort of power and in that sort of way and in that sort of torque range. Right. But, he, okay, so there was a conspiracy theory in 2007 that basically the FIA came to an agreement that, you know, they wouldn't kick McLaren out of the sport or disqualify them for the season or whatever. But the conspiracy theory goes that they had kind of agreed not to win uh, the championship in 2007. That always seemed a bit far-fetched to me. However, we've got a situation now where there is a, a secret agreement and they have said out and out, like, oh, here's a secret agreement. And it feels like this current period, this year and next year, this is essentially the quiet punishment. Ferrari get to save face by not exposing exactly what it was they were doing, but they've clearly been hobbled like a great, great deal. It looks particularly bad at the moment because we're on the big power circuits, but they've been hobbled enough to guarantee they can't win a title or fight for a title. And I think I think that gives away, I mean, I'm guessing here, Mr. Carter, I'm not asking you to confirm or deny this or, or speculate on it, but it seems to me that this was the secret agreement. This was the punishment. All of your toys now won't work because we're hobbling what you were doing. I, I mean, I, it sounds like a good um, story. Uh, yeah, well, I that's what I was so. doing. I don't think so. No? I don't think so. You don't think I th- that was I the think, agreement? I, I think, as, as, as Matt alluded to, um, I think that they've had something stopped and the um the ramifications of that are far more wide than than you would originally think and they're probably working like crazy back in the factory to to get back on track and i'm i'm under no illusions that they will do and they will do soon um you know they've not they're not a bad race team they're not a they're not a bad company you know they they're just i think they're just they've gone a long way down a route and they now need to come back and 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 go different Right. And this brings me to a very interesting question. Well, at least I think it's interesting. <laughs> Go for it. And it's only going to be like seven or eight parts. So hang on. Get a notepad um, and pen. I, I mean, I do need to throw in my, my, my little bit of knowledge that Ferrari's especially stuck because they've instituted tokens because of the whole weirdness between kicking the regulations back a year. That's making their recovery a bit more compli- complex than it would have been had they simply changed regulations uh, when they originally planned to. But if I am a customer of Ferrari and I suddenly get this power unit this year, and I won't say that I'm thinking of Haas, but I will say I'm a bit of a Steiner fan and you've already put it out there that (laughs) that Perez might be on the market with a lot of money. There'll be at least one sponsor that might be looking for a new car. Well, now if I'm Haas and I'm going into this new agreement with a cost cap, am I maybe looking for a new partner I mean, I know the partnership was aerodynamics and yeah. our unit, but but would if you were if you were Gene Haas, would you be thinking, hmm, maybe Renault or maybe Honda will do me a bit of a deal, and I'll be much better off? That was only six questions, so yeah, good. Um, no, I don't think so. I, I think Haas <laughs> and Ferrari are um, are going to stay 
are going to stay together as a partnership personally um i think there's a there's a lot of this it's a it's a not a two-way street but there's there's a there's a lot of things that go backwards and forwards between the two and and it just works for them to to be to stay together i think ferrari will get back on top of on, on top of things um i'm not sure exactly why spa was so bad but you know this season it, it, it's been bad but it's not been as terrible i don't think as people have have, have been pointing out you know, leclerc's got a couple of podiums um vettel is clearly in my opinion checked out um so he's not you know he's not <laughs> doing what he wants to do i mean there's there's constant discussion about their strategy which blows my mind because iniaki the guy that is their tree, chief strategist used to work for me at lotus and he's brilliant um and he was plucked um he was plucked from us to go there yeah um purely because of his because of his the way that he was and you don't become a bad strategist yeah. overnight maybe they are listening to the drivers a bit too much maybe they are um frantic because the press in italy is is killing them and they're trying to make some crazy crazy decisions or whatever but he's a great strategist he really is he's one of the best i mean i've had good bosses and bad bosses and it's completely different when you are given freedom, when you're given an area of responsibility and you are trusted. And when, when things go wrong, uh, you're not like berated or slapped around the head. You know, it's not my marriage, for goodness sake. Um, but it's very different when there's someone over your shoulder, when there's high expectations, when mistakes are punished harshly. So it could it just be that you are a, a nicer boss than Bonotto? Oh, I mean, that's obvious. Oh, yeah. But... Um, but um, yeah, and, and it's a more pressure situation. Don't get me wrong. There was nobody particularly looking at our our pit stop strategy at Lotus, unless we did something incredible. And um, I, I guess there's a little bit of that, you know, you can, in, in the midfield teams, you can make mistakes, but if you do something that is genius, then it's a bit like Jensen Button with his, when he used to go onto the the slick tires when it was still raining. And if it worked once in 10 times, he was a genius, but nobody <laughs> yeah. really talked about the nine times that it didn't work. Thank um, you. So it's kind of a little bit like that. Whereas in Ferrari, I think they're very much more, they're in the spotlight, obviously, and ev- everything they do, but Iniaki is a is is a great strategist. Um, they need to get Vettel out of their ASAP, really, in, in my opinion. Even if it happens before the end of the season, because I just don't think he's doing them any good. Um, and then and then they'll rebuild. Um, but also Mercedes, you know, you can't underestimate what a great job Mercedes are doing. You know, they mm. they are just in in incredible. They've they've really smashed it out of the park, you know. Yeah. I know Toto talked a lot about how they upped their game because they felt that Ferrari were coming on strong and they really doubled down and uh, and yeah it really shows. Um and it'll be interesting to see what happens with their lack of party mode in quali. Um but I don't I'm that I'm not sure how on earth they're gonna police that. I don't I don't really understand how they can do it or what they can do. Uh, like I, I think most people are thinking that it's not going to make a huge difference. I don't, I don't think because I mean the gaps are like half a second. Is is party mode going to take away half a second and put Verstappen on pole? Uh, that's got to be the motivation for doing it because they've seen Red Bull's got race pace but no quality pace. Matt, that's got to be the motivation, hasn't it? Yeah, I, I think they're they're wanting qualifying to be closer. Um, I think the amount of software proliferation. Yeah. is really the problem that they have. They're not going to get rid of the different modes. They're going to just stick them all under one mode and make them flexible that way. But the, I think the party mode that's being referred to here is a very special mode that can only run for one lap, and then you need two laps of recovery to make yeah. it work. Yeah. And they won't be able to do that with the way they're asking them to put the engine modes from now forwards. 
You, so you I, 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 yeah. I think from what I've, what I've heard is that they're going to make them any engine, any engine mode that you use, you have to use for a percentage of the race, which would mean that they can't use that mode. So Got it. I, I don't really see how they can police it because you are changing, you're literally changing engine modes multiple times in the lap. Sometimes, you know, it's, um, you know, I often talk, I mean, I, I'm very much a layman in terms of this, you know, I, so I, I, I try to break these things down into, into words and to phrases that I understand. But when I was there and, we, and, and it was the start of the hybrid era, we were if essentially draining and recharging the battery every lap. Yeah. Mm. So, and, but, it's, but it's how you do that. So it's how much of that. It's whether or not you want to be attacking the car in front, defending from the car behind or regenerating more power. So when you see the flashing lights at the back of the car, that's when they're, that's when they're recharging mm. their battery. So you can see them. That, so they clip at the end of the straight. So they get to the end of a straight. So if you've got five seconds in front and five seconds behind, they'll regularly get to the end of the straight and they'll come off the throttle and onto the brake earlier than they would do normally. And by doing that, they, they generate energy mm. and then they can go around that corner and then down the next straight, they can utilize that energy to maybe catch up the car in front. So they're doing that all the time. So... Yeah, I get that on the party mode, they're probably draining the battery completely. So it's completely mm. out of out of every every bit of juice. But if they drain it down to one or two percent and then they spend a few laps regenerating it, I don't see how the FIA can say you didn't use I, I mean it's just difficult. I just I it's gonna be really, really difficult for them to police, I think. So I guess it's whether whether it's like a is I don't even know what party mode is, you know, is is party mode a button? where they say, right, if you press this button, it runs it at a setting that will, will drain the battery. You know, so I guess if it is a set kind of toggle <laughs> switch, they can they can police it more effectively. If it's just a method, then they can't. If it's just because they can use their battery power better or for longer, then it'll be impossible. But if it's a button, I guess they can do it. Well, yeah, so we, so I, I don't know how things have developed, but certainly 2014 and 15, we had an overtake button, um, which gave you that little bit of extra power. Um, and I think did valtteri not mention yes. a button yeah, in, yeah. In, the, in the in the he said that we've got one push or something like that didn't he yeah he wanted to use their top mode and they said no not against each other yeah but i think he said we've got one push or something like that but yeah certainly 2014-15 we had a we had an overtake button on the steering wheel that you could press that would give you that bit of extra power um but that comp- but as i say that compromises you later on in the yeah. in the lap so you'll you'll pick all the good drivers not necessarily the two that I had, the good drivers would follow the car in front, would realize, you know, where there was potentially a mistake, yeah. where there was potentially they were a bit slower than, than wherever, you know, where they needed a good exit out of a corner, which would then lead to a, a potential pass later on. And then they'd use that. Um, I think in the old days, you used to call it push to pass, but we used to call it, we, we called it an overtake button. So you would use that button to give you that extra bit of energy, knowing that you're sacrificing later on in the lap. Well, Matt, I, I don't know why they don't just follow the American method and drop down a gear and press the accelerator harder. Seems pretty simple to me. That works every time in the movies. Uh, push to pass, I think, is indie. I think oh, they, okay. we, they will still have an overtake button that they can use. But that being basically, I think the party mode is I get to use my overtake button for the entire lap. Plus, they yeah. do a couple of extra special things like open the wastegates wide and yeah. run the turbo entirely from the MGUH for that lap, which is why the battery. But all the, t- all the teams will have a version of party mode. Yes. It might not be as effective as Mercedes, but they'll all have one. So, so you clip Mercedes and, but you're going to clip everyone else as well. And that's the bit that, yeah. Uh, I also, I'm, I'm not sure that I necessarily 
I understand why they do it, but I don't think I necessarily agree with them changing something mid-season because they set the regulations at the start of the season. And you know, just because Mercedes are so far ahead, they can't just suddenly say, oh, hang on a minute, we're changing the rules. <laughs> it's like in football saying we're going to make the goal a bit smaller because Liverpool are scoring too many goals. Yeah, and then I could finally have my dream of being a top flight footballer. The, the, the goals are too big for my little arms. I can never get all the way to the, the top corner. Um, Mark Greenhouse says, if it was me, I'd just stop calling it party mode. Just call it normal mode instead. Problem solved. Exactly. Oh, I guess they could go, oh, no, we're not using a party mode in, anymore. And in qualifying, you'll hear them go, OK, Lewis, um, go to mode 11. That's what they'll do. They'll go to mode 11, turn it all the way up to 11. We've run out of time. Genuinely have run out of time. Matt, I know, no, you're going to protest. Like, I literally have. You've left the tyres out, but OK, fine. I know. We'll talk tyres, but we don't have to leave it so long before inviting Mr. Carter back on. You know, can we, we can book another show with you fairly soon, can't we? Yeah, of course. This yeah. has been a this been a nice sort of yarn. We've not really stuck to our plan, and and we've had a nice little F one chat. I've enjoyed it, Matt. Do we ever? Do we ever stick to a plan? No. Uh, Stuart Neal in the chat called the normal mode Ferrari mode. Oh no! Ooh. Come on, leave Ferrari Ouch. alone. Stop being so mean. <laughs> I'm kidding. Only kidding. Uh, right, right. We, we do have to go. Um, we've got time for a comment of the week. If you've been tracking them, Matt, yes or no? Um, I think Stuart Neal wins. That was hilarious. Yeah, I agree. In other words, Matt didn't bother tracking the comments this week and uh, and, and unluckily picked the one week where I remembered. Uh, thank you very much for your time, Matthew Carter. We hope we see you again. Um, we can follow you on, on Twitter, on your newly made Twitter account that you finally signed up to. Nope. No, uh, your Instagram then, where we can see pictures of you posing with a pouty face and a variety of makeup garbs. Uh, nope. Okay, I'm going to take one more shot. Uh, your TikTok, where you dance in a crop top with a variety of uh, shaving stages of your facial no, hair. that. That, yeah. yes. Right. Sure. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, Matthew Carter on TikTok, thank you very much for your time. Uh, I must uh, plug my, my dear friend here, um, Ma- Matthew, Matthew Trumpets. That's what I call him. Uh, Matt Two Rumpets, whose job is to play the trumpet. He is at MattPT55 on Twitter. And people can email him too. Uh, at Matt, no, hang on, MattPT55 at gmail.com. Yes. Someone. All of these things work. Yeah, they can email you. They don't just have to yell at me. You can yell at Matt sometimes too if you want. Uh, don't, if you want an answer from me, people have already picked this up, but um, I've stopped using the spanners email for this. Um, Missed Apex Podcast at gmail.com means it's all in one place and I will start <laughs> responding to you much better uh, and just expect me to do I'm going to try and do quicker answers. It intimidates me to reply to long emails. So I'm just going to do shorter answers more often. But we absolutely love, love hearing from you. We'd love an iTunes review. And if you can find a special place in your heart for Missed Apex Podcast and you want to uh, support us financially, you can. You can keep this project alive by going to patreon.com forward slash Missed Apex. Patreon.com forward slash missed apex at five dollars a month um you get all the extra content join us in the slack group that's like full on but if you just want to chuck us a few cents and go you guys are doing an okay job then uh there's a 199 option on there so it's about 30 cents a show to support missed apex podcast or missed apex podcast.com forward slash tip jar if you would just like to buy me and or matt or mr carter uh, a pint you can write on there who it's for uh we have been missed apex follow us at missed apex f1 me on twitter at spanners ready as well or you can be my friend on facebook 
by searching for Richard Reddy. Until next time, work hard, be kind, and have fun. This was Missed Apex. Yeah, that's right. I changed it, Matt. I changed it to a slightly more grown-up one because I'm a pillar of the community and not some, not some stud out on a farm chasing tail. Look, now I'm giving sagely and worldly advice. Like, a, like, look, like, oh, why is Uncle Spanners under a tree? Oh, come and gather round, children, and Uncle Spanners will tell you how to live your life in a true and wonderful form. Work hard, be kind, have fun. I did it. I matured. Yeah, now, now I'm going to have to make up a whole other one that vaguely makes fun of it. That's going to be the problem. Why must you mock me? Why can't you just let me have the nice... Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.